with what's called small talk, where the conversation isn't, there's not a lot of depth to the conversation, but it allows us to show friendliness with someone, but, but the discussion's really about superficial, superficial things, and, and probably all throughout history, small talk has, has, um, has been most popularly demonstrated in discussing of the weather, right? And so you can walk up to about anybody and say, boy, it's sure nice out, or it's sure rainy out, or there's a front coming in. I remember, you guys remember Pastor Scotty, he was our youth pastor before Ryan, and, uh, and he used to tease me that when I, would, when I would, on Sunday mornings, when I would come to the pulpit, and you guys know that they give me a, they give me a mic and nothing, no script, and so I just start talking, and so I'll bring up the weather, I'll say, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful sunny Sunday morning. And uh, so he always used to tease me about that, but that's, that's a small talk. You're talking about these insignificant, really these superficial things. Uh, another thing that we talk about is, is gas prices, right? We talk about gas prices and, boy, gas is high over here and it's low over here. Uh, by the way, this is like an old person thing. The other day, uh, yesterday, uh, no, uh, Monday, uh, passed a gas station that was 279 Maybe it was a, a typo or something on the side, but it was 279. But but that's a topic that we talk about is gas prices, and and certainly over the last couple of years, um, thanks to politicians in the swamp, we pay more for gas, and so that's a that's a topic of conversation. So I want you tonight to consider with me the analogy of a gas tank. Uh, a gas tank is simply the container that holds the gas that's that's needed by your car, and. We, we fill up the gas tank at the gas station, and then slowly the level of gas goes down as the gas is used by our vehicles. And when the gas gets low, then we go back to the gas station, we cross our fingers, we hope that the gas prices have gone down that particular day, and we, we fuel the gas tank back up again with gas. And sometimes we get the idea that our relationship with God is like a gas tank. Um, and and this, is, this is true to some extent because we all have times where we feel spiritually low, right? There are times where we, we just don't feel there. Spiritually, we just feel out of sorts. Um, and we also have times that after an inspiring sermon or maybe our time in the Word, we feel encouraged as if our tank has been filled back up. Maybe our tank is filled with, 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 uh, with zeal or with courage or with peace or, or joy or whatever, and so we can fill back up. But in an analogy like that, to continue, um, a continued analogy with that can be dangerous because faith is not like a gas tank. Faith is not like a gas tank that needs constantly topping off. And church is not a gas station that merely exists to service our Christianity. That on Sunday we, uh, we pull up to the Faith Baptist pump and tell the preacher, fill her up, preacher, I need my faith filled up. Now this mindset is, is prevalent, but it's not theologically correct. That on Sunday that we get our faith topped off at church and that we run on that tank of faith until next Sunday. See, that mindset is modeled after a consumeristic Christianity that's harmful to the gospel and it's harmful to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the idea is this, what do I get from church? 
So I go to church to get something. What do I get from church? What do I get from the sermon? What do I get from the singing? What do I get from the fellowship? Our passage is in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 10 and break those apart a little bit. But uh, I, I want you to see that our faith is not something that needs topped off. You can have other um, aspects of your Christian life increased in those areas that we spoke of. Maybe your, maybe your hope, maybe your zeal, maybe your passion, uh, maybe your, your joy, those things. But faith is not one of those things. Now, I hope you're not offended, but if you are offended, I want you to take solace in the fact that the disciples had the same mindset that maybe we have had over time. They felt like that they could have, if, if they could have more faith, that they could be better disciples. And we think that too. We often look at our life and uh, our lives and we're not pleased at what we see. And so we get this sense that we could be doing better somehow. A few weeks ago, a friend texted me one morning. And the friend texted me this. He said, hey, Jason, how can I pray for you? And I thought, that's a tough question. You know, sometimes when someone asks us what they can pray uh, about for us, sometimes we have something on our lips, right? We have something on our mind. Like we have a burden, we've got a need, and that's something we've prayed over. But sometimes our minds are just, we're not really thinking of anything. Uh, and maybe that goes to our sense of, uh, of self, um, our, our self-control and that we can handle things ourselves. But I didn't, know what he, I didn't know what to say when he said, how can I pray for you today? I didn't know what to say. Do I pray for wisdom? Do I pray for protection for my family? Do I pray for, uh, where's D overpeck? Do I pray for the leaves in my yard to just blow away? You know, what do I actually pray for? What do, what do I need? I never knew, never really know. But I thought about it and I texted him back this. I texted him back, pray for increased faith. Pray that God would increase my faith. If I only had more faith, then I could be a better Christian. This was my thinking. If God would only give me more of the fuel of faith, then I would be a better vehicle for the gospel and for his glory. And the idea was that I was waiting on God to do something so that I could be more faithful. And so we say to God the same thing that the disciples said, increase my faith. Look at verse 5, and then we'll jump back and we'll unpack the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 17. The apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Now before we look at Christ's response to that, let's go back and let's get the, the background of the passage. So in Luke chapter 17, the previous passage, Jesus tells the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. We're familiar with that. That, that parable highlights the, the contrast of temporal pleasures, and it, uh, and it tells us that we should have sincere compassion for people. And so there's a lesson to be learned there. Now in verse 1 of chapter 17, Jesus continues to talk about the responsibilities that the followers of Jesus have. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Then said he to the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through they come, through whom they come. 
It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. And so Jesus is saying it is probable, it's, it's probably going to happen that offenses, that stumblings are going to come. He said, don't be surprised when, when there are uh, teachings and there's actions that are going to cause Christian brothers and sisters to stumble and to fall and to take offense to. And for, the, for, for things to become obstacles, for actions and words of others to become obstacles to believers. Now his audience, his, his, what he's speaking about, his audience is the disciples, but who he's speaking about primarily in this case, are the scribes and the Pharisees. And their teachings had become obstacles, and their teachings had become stumbling blocks. But he says this, he says, Woe unto them through uh, whom they come. He says this, It would be better for him that a millstone were hung around his neck, and he cast into the sea, that he should offend one of these little ones. And so this offense, or this stumbling block, would come to the brothers and sisters in Christ. When it says the little ones, that's not really speaking of kids. It's speaking of the children of God. And so we are referred to as God's children. And so he says that it's a serious offense to, to, um, to put a stumbling block, uh, whether it be word or deed, into the path of a believer. And so we often read verses 1 and 2 and think, yeah, God's going to get those people who cause others to stumble. But many times we don't stop to think whether we ourselves are guilty of doing it. And it's inevitable, Jesus says, that Christians are going to stumble because of the words and the behaviors of others. But it's not an excuse to be haphazard. And humble believers consider others out of love and out of unselfishness. And there's a pursuit of the uh, truth of God's word so that they might not offer false teaching that would be an obstacle to cause fellow believers to stumble. And likewise, our actions should be in consideration of others. So that's a truth there. There's a truth in verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 and 4, read with me, please. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. So Jesus, in these two verses, reminds us of a couple of things. Number one, that we need to be accountable to one another. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Confront the brother who has sinned against you. Why? For the sake of resolution and for the sake of restoration. And so there's, there's, there's a command, and it's given, it's given in Matthew 18 and other places, there's a command that if you're, if you're offended by someone or someone offends you, then it is fine to, to uh, confront in a loving way so as to um, realize restoration uh, and, and forgiveness. And so Jesus, Jesus says uh, to do that. He reminds us of that. And then secondly, he reminds us that we need to be forgiving of those who offend us. Grace and mercy are the hallmarks of Christianity. Grace is giving something that's not delivered. Mercy is not giving something that is deserved. I should have said deserved on both, both points there. So we see that Jesus has been giving uh, this teaching here, these, this pretty heavy teaching, and, and understand the context of this, that the apostles, the, the disciples, 
are, this is new to them. These, these apostles did not grow up in, in a multi-generational Christian home, right? Like this was all new to them. And so this teaching is some heavy teaching. And you can see it in verse 5. But this heavy teaching, and first about how we need to be careful not to be a stumbling block, and then about the importance of forgiveness. There's a challenge in both not causing other believers to stumble and to forgive when we are offended. And so uh, we see, we see in, in this text in particular that we see the first step of leading people out of sin is to rebuke them. It's a stern warning, a reprimand. And Matthew 18 gives the process for implementing the principle mentioned here in, in this. And so this is, the, the, the idea is this, the general underlying idea is this, don't act like unbelievers. In this context, the scribes and the Pharisees, but act uniquely and definitively as a follower of Christ. And so the disciples are hearing this teaching. They, they, they understood Luke chapter 17. They understood all this teaching that Jesus was giving them. And it's as though in verse 5, they communicate the weight of all the teaching. And in their minds, it seems impossible to be able to, to, um, uh, to obediently fulfill the teachings of Jesus. And so what do they say in verse 5? It's as if the disciples feel the weight of all of this responsibility on their shoulders. And they say in verse 5, increase our faith. Jesus says, treat others correctly. Recognize the difference between temporal and eternal. He says, don't offend. He said, it's a dangerous thing to offend. If you're offended, you, you rebuke, you uh, there, uh, you grant forgiveness and this grace comes out. And they said, wow, this is a lot of teaching. This is deep stuff. Jesus, we're, we're just fishermen. Uh, we're just rednecks. We, you need to increase our faith. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said... If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto the sycamine tree or the mulberry tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. They said, We're not able to do all of this, Jesus. You didn't give us enough faith to cover it. We don't have the faith to be obedient. Please, Jesus, give us more, otherwise we'll fail. Jesus, I ask you to fill my faith tank. And when you think about it, I don't think the answer that Jesus gave in verse 6 is quite what they were looking for. And we might have expected Jesus to, to stop and to pray and to ask God to grant them more faith. But really, Jesus' answer is almost in a sarcastic tone. And the sense is that the disciples did have enough faith. And they did have enough faith as big as a mustard seed, which is a tiny a tiny, tiny seed. And so verse six, verse 6 can almost be paraphrased as you do have faith. And even if your faith is small, you can still do great things. In other words, you already have faith, guys. Listen, you're just not using it. You've got faith. You're just not using it. So the disciples were asking for the wrong thing. When I answered my friend by text, pray for my faith to be increased, I think I asked for the wrong thing. 
See, the disciples didn't need to increase their faith. They needed to increase their faithfulness. We don't necessarily, let me pause, we don't need an increase to our faith. We need an increase to our faithfulness. There's a big difference. What's the difference? Faith is a gift from God. Faith, uh, God gives us the amount of faith that we need and it never runs out. And to ask God, think, think with me please, to ask God to increase our faith is almost an insult because he's given us the faith. On the other hand, faithfulness is our response to faith. And faithfulness is what we do with the faith that's given. And here's the kicker, that's up to us. We ask God to increase our faith. I ask God to increase my faith. And the conviction that I had was, you've got faith. Even if your faith is, is small, your faith is sufficient. And your faith is sufficient to do incredible things. But what I lacked is faithfulness. Faithfulness is defined as being loyal and obedient to the person that we put our trust in. We put our faith in Jesus, and we also have to be faithful to Jesus. See, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we put our faith in Him. Now, we don't teach lordship, salvation here at Faith Baptist Church. But there is a, there, Jesus is your Savior before He's your Lord. You grow into the Lord part of it. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we put our faith in Him. When we accept Christ as our Lord, we put our faithfulness in Him. But Jesus insists on being both our Savior and our Lord. And it's, it's not enough for us to say, thank you, Jesus, for dying, me, uh, dying for me. See you later. When we accept salvation, we die that day. We're no longer who we were before. At conversion, we're a new person, and no longer we live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. And so as believers then, we must give our entire life over to God, and we have to say, here I am, Lord, use me as you wish. And when we do that, we've got to be willing to be faithful. When God says, okay, here's what I want you to do, we have to be faithful to do it. And so it's not a matter of faith, it's a matter of faithfulness. As humans, we like to use excuses. We say things like, man, I'm just not ready yet. Um, I'm not prepared enough. I need to learn more. I need God to give me more faith. But the truth of the matter is, if you're a Christian, uh, you are ready to do whatever it is that God wants you to do. He's God. He knows you. He knows what you need. He knows what you need to accomplish the command that he's given you or the leading that he's given you. If you weren't ready, he wouldn't have asked you. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You have faith. All you need to do is be faithful. And so show your faith by stepping out and relying on his strength and not your own. Listen, that's faithfulness. Are you seeing the difference? You seeing the difference in those two things? And so Jesus, Jesus communicates this in, in almost a sarcastic way. And he says, your faith, even if it's as small as a grain of mustard seed, is enough to do these miraculous things, these, these incredible things. You're prepared to do that. So the faith is not the issue. Are you being a good servant is the issue. And I think to kind of drive home that point, 
and the importance of faithfulness as a servant, he tells a parable then again in verses 7 through 9. The Bible says this in verse, verses 7 through 9, But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, Go and sit, out and, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because, uh, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not, or I think not. So let's unpack that a little bit. Jesus asks three rhetorical questions that are answered here, and I'll just give you a hint. Uh, the correct answer to the first one is, is no. The correct answer to the second one is yes. And the correct answer to the final rhetorical question from Jesus is no. And so in this story, Jesus has the relationship of the servants and masters in the ancient world in mind. And when he asks these three uh, rhetorical questions that show the expected faithfulness of a servant. Look at verse 7. It's all a question, verse 7. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say to him, by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down uh, to, to meet or to eat? The idea is this, that, that, the, that the master has a servant and part of the servant's responsibilities, part of the servant's responsibilities is to take care of the livestock. And he's out in the field, and he's, he's plowing, and he's feeding the animals. And when he comes in from that portion, his, his job, his assignment's not over. But what the master is saying, the master says, hey, come on in and just go, go get something to eat. So the question is this. The question is this. Um, those that, those that ha would have a servant, would it be okay if the servant's job is not complete? Do you invite the servant to come in the house and just go, just go right to eating? The answer is no. The, the answer is no. Then the second, or then, then verse 8 that has a, the second question gives the rest of the responsibility. And will not rather say unto him, Make ready. Remember, this is when the servant's done. This is when the servant's done with the work outside, and the servant comes in. And so here's the, here's the, the opposite question. So would you not rather than say, hey, when you're finished, when you're finished working out in the field, uh, yeah, when you come inside, uh, go ahead and uh, get my dinner ready and uh, uh, you know, get, get, get ready to, to make my dinner, make the dinner, and when I've eaten, then sit down and eat. And the answer to that is, is, is that preferred to the first? And the answer is yes. Because that's the full job of the servant. Stay with me. The third, the third question. First question is, when the, work, uh, when, when, the, uh, when the servant's work isn't complete, will, will you just allow him to eat? The answer is no. But when his work is complete, can he sit down and eat and drink just like the master? Certainly. Because his task is complete. Verse 9. Doth he thank that servant because, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not, or I think not. Uh, and the answer to that is no. And it's not that Jesus, or not, it's not that the master, excuse me, is ungrateful for the work provided, but the, the, the thrust of this parable is this, is that there's an expectation that the servant does the job that the servant is supposed to do. 
So there's no extra, there's not a bonus. There's, there shouldn't be an expectation that just because the servant completed his task, that he gets lauded on and he gets bonuses and he gets all these great things. Now that very well may happen. But this servant should be expected to complete the task. In the ancient world, it was simply unthinkable for a servant to sit and eat with his master. Only family members and invited friends ate meals together. Servants served their masters, and only after their masters had completed their meals were servants allowed to eat. And the reason is simple, that it's the servant's job to serve. It's the servant's job to serve. It's the Christian's job. I'm applying this, listen. It's the Christian's job to minister. It's the Christian's job to care for. It's the Christian's job to give, to bear one another's burdens, to witness, to forgive, to reconcile, to help, to restore, to disciple, to invest. It's the servant's job. It's the Christian's job. And we may look at this and we may say, wow, that seems like that's, that's a little bit harsh, ungrateful. But Jesus' point is this, that the servant's act, or his point is about a servant's action regarding service. The expected faithfulness of a servant is to serve his master day and night. And who are we more than a servant of Christ our master? Faithfulness is what's expected. We're expected to be faithful. We're expected to be faithful. Look at verse 10. Jesus, Jesus show, he goes from uh, showing us our expected faithfulness to serve God. And in verse 10, he talks about our expected attitude is to serve God with joy and gratitude. Verse 10. So, likewise ye, when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Jesus is saying that a servant has no merit or profit of his own. He's simply doing what his master has commanded him to do. And so, that's the expectation. So, suppose, suppose you are a skilled, uh, gifted um, um, uh, mechanic or fabricator that you built a car. You built a car, uh, we, we got the parts together, you assembled it, and you built a car that's able to, that's able to tra- uh, travel, uh, seven, we're talking about gas, 75 miles uh, to the gallon. If the car performs in that way that it travels 75 miles to the gallon, it would be simply that you performed as you were supposed to perform, and the vehicle performed as it was supposed to perform. That's how you design the car. Or, or think about it in an employment sense. You are hired, you are uh, employed to do a certain task, and you do that task, and you're faithful in doing that task, and your employer writes you a check every week, every two weeks, direct deposit, whatever, you get the check, and it cashes. The scales are weighed out. It's balanced out. There's no other expectation. A servant is required to obey his master's commands. When he obeys every single command of his master, he's simply performing as he's supposed to perform. There's nothing meritorious at all about doing what he's supposed to do. And that's Jesus' point. 
as he, as he, as he connects all of the beginning of, of chapter 17, even if a servant excels at serving, he's still a servant that's doing a service, and his master owes him nothing. Here's my application. When, when we are faithful to follow God, we're not given a medal. When we do good works for God, it doesn't help pay for our salvation. No faithfulness is merely part of our job. Pardon me, no faithfulness is merely a part of our job description. It's expected. A servant is expected to serve. A Christian is a servant, and therefore, a Christian is expected to serve, to be faithful. And when we get the feeling that something's not quite right with our walk with God, it's not that we lack faith, but a lot of the times it's that we just lack faithfulness. And if it seems as if our spiritual tank is running low, uh, we can't come to church and say, uh, Pastor Monty, fill her up. And we can't blame the Sunday school teacher. And we can't blame uh, the music ministry. And we can't blame the pastor. Because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and therefore God can work best for, from, uh, from within our own hearts. As we talk about faithfulness, I, I want you to think about maybe those that you would um, you would uh, think that would be um, those that are the most Christ-like people that you know. Uh, maybe, maybe you have a, a friend, or maybe you have a teacher, or maybe you have a mentor, or someone in church that you think that person is, like when I think of someone being Christ-like, I think of that person. Have you noticed that those people are the, the ones that are more, most like Jesus, or the people that have, uh, are the best about being faithful to God? They're the people that are doing what it is that God wants them to be doing. They're living their lives for him, not themselves. They're not concerned about their own tanks being filled. They're usually concerned about filling others' tanks, about blessing others, serving others, investing in others, lifting up others, edifying others, uh, uh, spending their lives just to help others. They know that God will take care of their own. They know that, that the, faithfulness, the faithfulness is on their part, that God's taking care of the faith in. And, and that's the type of perspective that, I, that I, I really yearn for my own life and the kind of perspective that I, that I yearn for in my home. That's the kind of perspective that we, as a body of believers at Faith Baptist Church, should pursue. And so I want, I want this place to be a place that we are so faithful to God that we wouldn't have any doubts as the state of our own faith tanks. And we'd know that they were full because we'd constantly uh, be using them. And it's only when we start using our faith that we realize that our faith is never going to run out. Your faith is never going to run out. Are there times that you feel distant from God? Absolutely, certainly. And in those times, don't put the onus on God to increase your faith. You've got enough faith. If you just had a little faith, it's enough to, it's enough to get you through incredible difficulties. But really the issue is this. Are we faithful to Him? Are we in the Word? Are we pursuing Him? Are we serving others? Are we loving others through Him? Are we are we faithful to him? That's my challenge for tonight, the difference between faith and faithfulness. 
Uh, as a Christian, the expectation is this, to serve. You're not going to get a medal. When you get to heaven, you'll hear the words, and this is good enough. Well done, now, uh, my good and faithful servant. But there's an expectation just to do what you were made to do and do what you were empowered to do. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. I pray that you bless this message. I pray that we would make this true in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.